have a um, uh, time of uh, remembering Edith. It's uh, more than just a marking of a, a person's uh, passing, uh, more than just an expression of appreciation and love for her, but um, we should also think why. Why did the life of Edith uh, make such an impression? Why was she so influential on our lives? And we'll, uh, we'll think about that this morning. Um, Ron Rumrell is going to come up and lead us in a hymn, and uh, Amy accompany. My wife, Isla, and I knew of the Tucker family only briefly at Hayward Gospel Chapel, and that was about 50 years ago. And then when we hived off to start a new work, we lost track of them. But occasionally, even then, uh, my wife, Isla, would run into Edith in the supermarket, and they would exchange coupons. <laughs> and uh, at that time, the Bruton Brutons and the Tuckers had large families. And Jeannie Bruton just told me this morning that Edith taught her how to mix water and powdered milk with regular milk in order to make it go further. And as far as we know, the kids never knew that until today. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, another thing, I have a, um, a songbook here that belonged to Edith. And uh, in the front cover, it has a... Uh, a Dearborn, Michigan address. So I'm not sure what year that might have been. And there are also a number of notes in here that Edith tried very hard to understand the meter of a song and the beats per major. And she had a number of notations about how many, she called them pulses instead of beats per major. And so she, as you're turning in your red songbook um, to number 612, um, <clears throat> I might just say that Edith would be happy to know this morning that we're going to be doing this song in four pulses, Amy. And so if you would, if you'd all stand, please, as we sing 612 in your red songbook. <clears throat> when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be first to welcome me. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know by the print, the nails in his hand. Oh, so thrilling rapture when I view blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise him for mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me mansion in the sky. <clears throat> I shall know him, I shall know him. Deemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him. By the print of the nails in his hand. 
Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. And our parting at river I recall. To the sweet vales of Eden, will sing my welcome home. Long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeem by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print nails in his hand. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where tears ever fall. <clears throat> In the glad song of ages, I will mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hand. Thank you. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we do commit this hour to you. We uh, recognize that uh, you've done a tremendous work in the life of Edith Mary Tucker, and uh, what a prospect of, of knowing you and seeing you as uh, she is this morning um, and uh, recognizing you by the print of the nails in your hand. Um, guide us in our thoughts, Lord, as we uh, uh, seek to know you and to know you better through uh, the life of this dear uh, mother and grandmother, great-grandmother, and a sister in the Lord. To us in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Edith was born on January 15th, 1918, to Ruth Leon and Arthur Eugene Ribble in Big Rapids, Michigan. Most of us uh, have the privilege of having a parent at home, both parents at home at birth. Uh, Art Ribble was a lieutenant in the army in World War I, stationed in Europe. Edith was the first baby born in Macosta County, Michigan, whose father was serving overseas at the time of her birth. Because of her father's absence, Edith spent three years living with her grandmother, Edith Mae Perkins, and she spent almost every summer afterwards with Granny. Granny Perkins is responsible for forming many of the character uh, attributes of Edith's personality. When her father returned from the war, the um, family moved to Lansing, Michigan, where Edith grew up and went to school. Edith was very active in music during her early adult years. She had the soprano lead in light opera productions, including Patience and Ermini. Am I right? Okay. Edith was one of the soloists for the Lansing Civic a cappella choir. When singing in the First Baptist Church in Lansing, Edith met a Christian man eight years her senior named Gerald Otis Tucker. 
Gerald and Edith fell in love and married August 11th, 1934. Edith accepted the Lord as her savior, listening to the radio ministry of um, Dr. Martin DeHaan in late 1940. And I understood that uh, she continued listening to his ministry through the years and found rich uh, encouragement and assurance through the preaching of the word. Gerald and Edith had seven children. Mary, who married Jerry Olson. They're not able to be here this morning, uh, but trust that uh, they may be with us by internet as we're streaming online. And uh, so uh, uh, they wish that they could be with us. Carol, who married Chuck Conrad, both here with us. Jim, here today with his wife, Alice. Tommy was born with cerebral palsy and died at the age of three. And um, uh, Edith carried the uh, memory of the little lad with her through, uh, through her years. Um, Phil, married to uh, Claudia. Bruce, here with wife Katie. And um, Ruth, the baby and engineer of the family, married uh, Peter Byrne. Gerald and Edith moved their family to the San Francisco Bay Area in 1959 for uh, employment. They lived for years on Hampton Road in uh, Hayward, and the Tuckers were active in the Hayward Gospel Chapel, where uh, Mr. Tucker was in leadership. We, uh, at what was then San Lorenzo Bible Chapel, met uh, Gerald and Edith at this time uh, as they began attending our meetings. They, um, they were active in the um, Open Door Mission. Uh, that's how I met them in their home. And uh, as I recall, it was a, a home of much activity and a lot of food. On uh, Sunday afternoon, we were uh, headed down to the mission, but not without uh, an eight or 10 course meal. The dishes kept coming in from the kitchen. Gerald and Edith retired to Tucson in about 1990 to be with the Wycliffe Bible Translators Mexican branch because um, Jim and Alice were, uh, were busy there. And uh, Jim and Alice served the Lord today in Cameroon, Africa. Gerald and Edith celebrated their 61st wedding anniversary before the Lord called Gerald home in 1996. Edith relocated from Tucson to Bethesda Christian Retirement Home in Hayward shortly after Gerald's home call, and she rejoined fellowship with us at um, Calvary Bible Chapel. Tireless in her service for years, Edith graded courses for the um, Northern California Prison uh, Correspondence Ministry. In 2007, Chuck and Carol invited Edith to move to Strathmore in the Central Valley and um, they made extensive modifications to their home for Edith's comfort and independent living. And uh, Edith missed her friends in the Bay Area so much that she returned to uh, the um, Bethesda Retirement Home a year later. When uh, Calvary Bible Chapel split up our midweek meeting, we held um, prayer and fellowship meetings in Edith's apartment there at Bethesda. And it was a precious time Small apartment, uh, very close fellowship, and uh, wonderful seasons of, uh, of uh, asking the Lord for his, uh, for his blessing. 
Phil and Claudia kindly took Edith into their home in Brentwood two years ago to assist her in her declining health. And Ruth took her mom from Brentwood to her home in Belmont for vacations. At Phil and Claudia's home, early in the morning last Saturday, the Lord called Edith into his presence. Edith enjoyed 60 years of marriage, gave birth to seven children, was influential in the lives of 14 grandchildren, 24 great-grandchildren, and uh, until recently she lived on her own. And uh, Carol, I believe you noted in your, um, in your notes that even in her last days, Edith still enjoyed her, uh, her favorite ice cream with uh, Hershey's chocolate syrup. What makes Edith's life so memorable for us? What distinguishes her as a follower of the Lord Jesus? Why did she have such an impact and influence in our lives? What legacy did she leave us? I suggest three strengths of character that stand out in her life. First was her reliance on the Lord and her belief that the Lord Jesus answers prayer. Um, countless times, uh, she would um, quote the verse in Matthew 18, 19 and 20. She'd say, um, she'd quote the Lord Jesus, I say to you that if any, if, if two or, excuse me, I say to you that, that if two of you agree on anything uh, concerning what they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. She'd say, there are two or three of us here, and we're agreeing on this. Let's pray, ask the Lord for it. And she would speak much to the Lord about a person before speaking to that person about the Lord. So you can be sure that if she spoke to you about your soul's need, it was only after much wrestling with the Lord in prayer. A second strength of character was her commitment to the Lord Jesus and to his people, shown by her faithfulness in the meetings of the church. She was an example to us of the early disciples who continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There were two reasons that she would miss meetings here. One. She was in the Kaiser emergency room with Ruth for a broken hip or some other serious infection. And the second was that she was too physically sick to make it to the car for transportation here. Uh, I would unlock the chapel uh, Sunday mornings and I would lock up uh, Wednesday nights and um, Edith was here. I, I would transport her from Bethesda and she'd be here for, uh, for that extra time of uh, me locking up and unlocking. She, uh, we sometimes attend meetings out of a sense of duty or obligation, but for, for Edith it was always a love for the Lord Jesus that drew her to the meetings, a love for his people. And third, uh, strength of character was her concern for others, her desire to see family and friends saved from the ravages of sin in this lifetime and eternal punishment for sin. It was a burden that she carried with her for those outside of Christ. 
It reminds me of the verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. This concern for others showed itself in uh, Edith's uh, pocketbook uh, because there were times when she was willing to empty out her, uh, her bank account when she saw needs around her. And it was only through the skillful persuasion of her, the one holding her checkbook that she didn't uh, exhaust those funds. But uh, she had a real burden, especially for the work in Cameroon. And um, uh, her heart was there um, with you, Jim and Alice. So this, this legacy that Edith left, um, was her reliance and trust in the Lord for answers to prayer, her commitment to the Lord Jesus and to his people, and her concern for others. These especially uh, distinguish her as the Lord's own. Music is very important in the Tucker family, and um, we have opportunity to hear Jim Tucker and Carol Conrad sing uh, a very special tune very special song this morning. Um, is this on? Yeah. Okay, music was uh, very important, as Matt was saying, in... Uh, our family, my earliest memory was uh, probably five or six years old of watching my father with a guitar and my mother and my two older sisters, one of which is beside me here, um, singing around the piano. And um, my mother knew, I think, no joy greater than, than having her family around her singing. Uh, around the piano, and uh, with very rare exceptions, I don't remember her singing very many other songs than, than songs of praise for her Savior, songs about the love of God. Uh, the song we're going to sing is uh, Oh What Love. It's one that my parents sang as a couple when they were very young. And uh, I don't think we'll do it justice the way they did. Our ranges are a little bit different, but um, they sang it at, uh, what is it called, Westwood? Westwood Baptist. Baptist, probably Airborne, in the Michigan. Um, 50s. So um, here we go. Wonderful it is that Jesus cares for me. Coming from his throne on high Into pain and sorrow, poverty and woe On Calvary's cruel cross for me to die Oh, what love 
that he should die for me. Saving grace thus to supply for me. Oh, what love, oh, what love. Evermore I'll sing it, oh, what love. Not by works of righteousness which I had done. But through grace he set me free. I could not by merit, O oh, redemption's door. Salvation was his own true gift to me. Oh, what love that he should die for me. Saving grace, thus to supply for me. Oh, what love, oh, what love. Evermore I'll sing it, oh, what Nicely done. Music was such an important part of Edith's life. Um, she told the story, and maybe you can verify that um, she would work at the kitchen sink with the window open, and uh, she would sing there at the kitchen sink, and that uh, neighbor heard her sing, and would open her window to hear Edith sing, and that uh, the um, message of the song was influential in bringing this woman to the Lord. Very, um, very precious to Edith was the Shapiro family. They um, invited Edith to their home, and some of you have enjoyed meals at their home as well. And uh, we've asked uh, Sharon to give some reflections of, um, of Edith's life. Sharon? Well, each one here would have so many special stories to share of this wonderful woman, Edith Tucker. And my thoughts are only a small representation of the many lives that were touched by her for almost a, a century. And I struggled to summarize how much she meant to me. Um, and I only had the privilege of knowing her for about two decades. When I came to the Bay Area for my graduate studies, I met her at church. And who would have guessed that less than five years later, she encouraged my husband to propose. And she shared the devotional at my uh, bridal shower, encouraging me to be a, a godly wife. And then we also married on August 11th. Mrs. Tucker was like a spiritual mother to me. I grew up in the church, and I had committed my life to Christ at an early age, but I was struggling with uh, doubts about my salvation when I met her and she lovingly took me under her wings and she opened her home to me on Sunday afternoons so we would go out to lunch together um, her and her friends 
and then we would study the Bible together uh, at her home. Sometimes I would just take a nap because of the rigors of school, and she was flexible. But she pointed out God's promises, and she urged me to claim God's promises as my own and to trust in Christ's work alone for my salvation. Mrs. Tucker loved God's word, and she studied it, and she would share it with anyone she knew and everyone she knew, whether it was a child in the neighborhood or it was an inmate in prison, and no one was too young or too old to hear about the love that she had for her Savior. And I was amazed at the long letters that she would write to the inmates in prison, answering their questions uh, about the Bible. And then she would also make pamphlets and draw charts about the things that she learned and discovered and searched out in the Bible and share those with people as well. Mrs. Tucker loved children. There was no child too young to hear about her Savior's love. And she was so good with kids. She cradled my babies, and they would sleep in her arms. Uh, I remember her holding my oldest, Eliana, when she was less than a year, and commenting that she had her first tooth. And then she promptly got bitten by my daughter. <laughs> and we laughed about that later. You'd never stick your finger in a teething baby's mouth. And then my son liked her walker because it was decked out. It had everything. And he especially would like to go on Sunday and take the little headlight and turn it on and off. Mrs. Tucker showed perseverance. Day by day, she found strength to serve the Lord that she loved, despite obstacles and, and trials. She broke her neck, and then she recovered, and she came back to serving the Lord and coming out to meetings. Her heart stopped, and she was treated for that, and then she came back to serving the Lord and coming out to meetings. As a younger woman, I really admired this older woman who would persevere during trials. And she was so dedicated. Um, she was never too old to serve the Lord. You couldn't tell her she was too old to do anything. We had a church retreat, a family camp, and she was there. She was in her 80s, and she went to family camp. Um, we had uh, a work day after we had purchased um, this church and she came to that. It didn't matter. She was almost 90 years old. She came on that Saturday, and she was working and helping and cleaning. And I appreciated that she just practiced hospitality so much. Matt mentioned, too, how she opened her home, not only to me, but to other people. And she would have Sunday dinners. And if her apartment was too small, she would just ask to use the large meeting room next door. And even though she lived alone, she would often serve 10 to 15 people and uh, do it on her own. She was so gracious. And it didn't matter that she was in her 80s. And Mrs. Tucker, again, too, was generous with her time and her material resources. When she found out we were having a Bible study, a college Bible study at UC Berkeley on Mondays, almost every Sunday she would give us two loaves of banana bread to take with us. And I don't know how many people got to enjoy those loaves of banana bread. I heard of others, but she must have baked hundreds of those loaves. And she was a prayer warrior. And that I appreciated her prayers for me and my family and so many others. Um, Matt mentioned how she opened her home 
when we temporarily stopped having a midweek prayer meeting here, she opened her home for the local believers to get together there. I think they may have had banana bread too. <laughs> and she would faithfully call out to God to undertake in a mighty way for people all around the world. Only in heaven will we know really the impact of those prayers and how, many, how much we received the blessing of God as a result of those prayers. So I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to know such a wonderful and godly woman. And I appreciate her family for sharing her with us and for faithfully bringing her out to meetings even in the later years when it became a burden. We just appreciate you so much and her. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. The banana nut bread made it to my workplace. <laughs> and uh, all they knew when they saw the loaf on the counter uh, at the receptionist desk was Mrs. Tucker made it. And uh, she was, had she come to work, uh, she would have found quite a following because of her, uh, her baking. We have another uh, very special uh, hymn by the uh, Tucker clan. are assembling, I want to share uh, something my, my brother Phil shared with me yesterday just to, just to illustrate the importance of music in mom's life. And uh, that is that um, during the declining, the, the last few weeks of her life, I don't know exactly how far back it went, but um, he said that they would be sleeping in bed and they would hear her singing <laughs> in the middle of the night to all hours. And uh, she just had a, a few songs that she uh, could recall. <laughs> and, um, but she sang them over and over again. And he said, if, if we want to get any sleep, we, we start putting swimming earplugs in our ears. <laughs> so anyway. Mm -hmm. 
Faith's sweet consolation, I like that. Um, Faith was a stronghold for Edith as she relied on the Lord Jesus for life and for salvation and uh, is with him now. Um, Just another word about music and the Tucker family. I can see how um, she would have been such an influence on your lives. Um, She would sit waiting for the worship meeting on Sunday mornings at uh, 8.45 and uh, before the prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and uh, she'd start singing just from her heart, start to uh, overflow in uh, thanks and praise to the Lord, and uh, some of the older, other older sisters would join in sometimes, and it made a nice uh, uh, worshipful beginning to our, our meetings. I appreciate that. Part of the, uh, the other half of the Shapiro team is uh, Noad, and uh, we've um, really appreciated his care for Edith through the years. And uh, I believe, Noad, you were a part of the, um, uh, the young people's uh, group that used to gather for lunch on Sunday afternoons, and uh, Edith was a part of that. Noad's going to bring us a word from the, from the Bible. Noad? morning. <clears throat> I think I'm falling apart here. Give me a second to put myself back together. I received a call about a week ago. Oh, actually, my wife received it and then told me that uh, Mrs. Tucker went to be home with the Lord. And uh, first, there's a twinge of sadness to know that uh, she was departed. But then there was a certain feeling of joy knowing where it was she went to and the fact that she was in a better place. And I thought maybe we can just start by thinking about that, the fact that as much as we might miss uh, Edith, she is uh, happier where she is right now. Why is she happier? Uh, The first reason we have for us in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, and he means this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desired to be clothed with our habitation, he means the new body, which we have from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we who are in this tent, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. And I'm intrigued by the words, mortality may be swallowed up by life, describing this new body she was she was going to be given, and in fact, that, that Mrs. Tucker has right now. There's a little bit more details on that body. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that this body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption 
and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. All this describing this new body that God has given to her. In her last years, we saw her body uh, becoming very weak, and uh, we too might uh, suffer from different frailties of our body. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, if you would see me an instant after I died, uh, you'd be tempted to worship me because the new body looks so amazing and has uh, so much power, so much glory in it. So certainly she has a much finer body now than she had in her uh, last days and in fact her entire life here on earth uh, with us. So she's happier because she has a better body. The second reason I had is she is now in a better place. Uh, we spoke about uh, the fact that she lost things during her life. She lost her son when he was three years old. She lost her husband. I'm sure she lost many uh, uh, loved friends along the way. And uh, all these things fill us with sadness when they happen to us. No more for her. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So for her, all of that sadness and sorrow are left behind, and she's in a place where no death or sorrow or pain can ever penetrate again. So these are two good reasons to be happy for her, and yet they pale by far by this third reason, that I have here in front of me. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So that speaks of her going to heaven, but the emphasis here is, I will receive you to myself. She is now with the Lord Jesus. Why is it so happy to be with the Lord Jesus? A few verses on that. Uh, Jesus calls himself in Matthew 9 a bridegroom, a bridegroom, and says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And they uh, automatic answer is no. They cannot mourn with the bridegroom. He is such a source of joy. There's so much joy to be with the bridegroom that you do not mourn. In John 3, 29, John the Baptist is speaking about him, and he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friends of the bridegroom who stand and hear him rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John the Baptist was rejoicing to be with the Lord Jesus, and everybody else was too. But it's interesting, it says, because of the bridegroom's voice. Why? I think because there was so much joy in the bridegroom's voice that that brought joy to him. The Lord Jesus is rejoicing to have Edith Mary Tucker with him right now. And that's part of her joy, is his joy. It says in Psalm 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. And that is where Edith is right now. Now, the story would not be complete if I didn't um, stop to think about why is it that Mrs. Tucker is in this place of joy. It says in Psalm 24, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. There are some requirements in order to be, to be in the presence of the Lord. Clean hands that have not done anything wrong. A pure heart that hasn't thought or felt anything wrong. Uh, who has not lifted up his soul into idol, has never put anything else in God's place in their life. No sworn deceitfully, never made a promise that they did not keep. Those are the requirements to be in God's holy place. Does Mrs. Tucker meet those requirements? Certainly, as my wife shared, we have noticed that she was a very saintly woman, but if she was here in my place today, she would say no. She did not meet these qualifications. Why then do we think that Mrs. Tucker is now enjoying the presence of God? There is a verse in your pamphlet that uh, alludes to that reason. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The key word I want to think about is redeemed. To be redeemed means to be bought again. If I owned something and for some reason I uh, lost it or sold it off and then came and bought it again, you would say, I am redeeming that possession. Redeem. Why does God have to redeem us? We have that reason for us in Isaiah 50, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Or, where, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Mother, he refers to the nation of Israel. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? And the word redeem is what pulled me to that first. God says, is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem? Why does God need to redeem us? First, it means we must have belonged to him at some point in the past. And I believe he's here speaking of the right of creation. God made us. We belong to him because he made us. But we're told here that he no longer had them in his possessions. It wasn't that God gave them away. It was for your iniquities that you have sold yourself. It was for sin. We desired to do that which God did not allow us to do. And we chose to do it anyways. And as a result, we have left God's possession. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The consequences of choosing to disobey God and go our own way meant death. Death mean, means separation from God. 
uh, we're told that uh, hell is a place where we will be separated from God forever. Because of our sins, we are under the judgment of death. And unless God redeems us, we will spend eternity without him in the place called hell. Now God's question here is, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Why when I came, why when I came to help you, to save you, was there no man? Why when I called you to come and be saved, was there no answer? Is my hand shortened at all that, I cannot, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Why did no one come for God to save them? Is it that God has no power to save us from sin and from death? Well, the answer for that is in that verse we read, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. We have re been redeemed by his blood. It would have been easy for God to redeem us with silver and gold. He created everything out of nothing. He could speak any quantity of silver and gold into existence. If that's what it took to redeem me, to bring my soul from sin and death and to restore me into fellowship and relationship with him. But it was not that easy. He had to send his son. Death must be paid for by death. A life must be redeemed by life. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come into this world to live a perfect life and to lay that life as a substitute for yours, to pay and to suffer on the cross of Calvary, not just at the hand of sinners, but at the hands of his Father. He had to experience eternal death or separation from God, the Son of God separated from the Father, from God the Father, in order to experience what you and I deserve for our sins. And that is the strength and the length of the arm of God stretched to redeem us. Now I'm reminded the story doesn't end with Christ's death. He, he is resurrected from the dead. He ascends and sits at the hand of God, the right hand of God the Father, waiting to receive his bride, and which he got to enjoy with Mrs. Tucker going and being with, no, with him. Now he enjoys, he rejoices at her presence. Now, that's the first half. The first half is God has provided for our redemption. The second half is will we answer? Will we answer his call? Will we come to him to be redeemed? Uh, I'm fond of puzzles sometimes, and uh, I, I feel embarrassed about the fact, but I've never uh, fully... Um, had uh, Mrs. Tucker explained to me how she personally came to know the Lord. I'm always interested in people's testimony, but as far as I got with Mrs. Tucker was knowing that it was under the radio ministry of uh, Dehan, Dr. Dehan. And um, I was curious, what was it that he said that caused her to come to him <coughs> or to receive uh, his offer of salvation? And I just pick clues here and there, and uh, I'm making my best guesses right now. And if you know better, feel free to come to me later and instruct me. But uh, some years ago, she came to me and she mentioned to me that, uh, uh, now I happen to have a Jewish background myself. I'm not particularly proud about it, but uh, 
many Christians seemed to be excited knowing that I was a Jewish person that came to faith in Christ. And she did too. And she came and told me that she used to wish she was Jewish because of all the promises God made for the nations of Israel. And I always thought that was a little bit strange because the promises we have for us in the New Testament that are extended not just to Jews but also to Gentiles, in my mind, far outweigh the promises that God has for the nation of Israel. So, you know, that was stuck in my mind. And then I uh, finally, in this last week in preparation to preaching, I decided, well, I need to find out who this Dr. Dehan was and because I might have to speak about him. And uh, you'll forgive me for not knowing him. I was born years after he died. But uh, the wonderful thing is the internet today, you can go on it and find out almost any fact uh, you care to find out. And uh, Dr. Dehan was a, a Bible teacher. He went through a near-death experience. He came out of it and said, forget my practice as a doctor. I need to be preaching the word of God. He started a, a Bible school. And one day somebody came with the radio and said, here, teach your Bible school and I'm going to record you and send it over the radio waves. And uh, that started. And, uh, and eventually there were uh, 600 radio stations around the nation and the world who were broadcasting his teaching. And uh, out of his ministry also came the booklet we have today, Our Daily Bread. That was something he started and we're enjoying still today. But one of the things he was known for is prophecy. He loved prophecy, especially the uh, prophecy, uh, Jesus' own promise to come back into this world. And he connected Jesus' promise with the word saying, it will be in this generation, I will come back, with the generation where Israel will be restored to, to her land. And uh, he started teaching this in the 30s. So this was well before Israel really was restored as a nation. So he, he uh, had a certain foresight to see what God was doing and believed that it was during that time, the generation seeing Israel restored to the land, which we're still part of that generation, by the way, that the Lord Jesus will come back. And so he also spent a lot of time preaching about God's promises to the nation of Israel and I think that's when Edith was hearing of, of all of God's promises to the Jews. And I'm guessing that at that particular time, she didn't really appreciate or understand God's promises to her, that she felt, well, I, I wish I was Jewish, and then all these promises were mine. And the last thing that, uh, that uh, fits in the puzzle for me, uh, Brother Matt handed me a letter earlier this week that uh, Mrs. Tucker wrote to him fairly recently. And in it, she quotes... Uh, two of her favorite verses. So the first one is in Mark 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The second verse is in John 3, sorry, 637. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Somehow, I think, during those weeks or months or years of listening to Dr. Dehan, she understood God's promises were not just for the Jewish people, they were for her as well. And in here we have these, two of these promises. One is that he who believes, so Jesus told his disciples to go and to preach the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. 
And that if you believe in that, if you believe in God's provision for your redemption to save you from death and from sin, Jesus promises that you will be saved. That's Jesus' promise. And the other one, the one who comes to me, anyone can come to the Lord Jesus to be saved. I will by no means cast out. And one thing that I've learned about Edith is she laid hold of God's promises and she wouldn't let go. And that is how she answered the call. So when God says, why then when I called, one, why when I came was there no man, why when I called was there no answer, is no longer true with Mrs. Tucker. She came and she answered. And God extends that same invitation to you and says to you, if you will come, if you will answer, if you will accept this provision I made on your behalf, you too can enjoy uh, heaven with me. You too can be redeemed from sin and death. The offer is still good. When the Lord Jesus rose to heaven, he left us an empty tomb to show us that the redemption has been paid in full and it was accepted by God. God's hand is not shortened that he cannot redeem, but we need to accept that hand that he offers to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, first of all, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for loving us so much to come into this world, to be willing to suffer for our sins, and then to rise from the dead and point, point us to you, to that outreach hands of salvation. Father, if there's anyone here who has not yet accepted that hand that you reached to them, that hand of salvation, we ask that you help them let go of whatever it is that's holding them back and lay hold of that hand and enjoy the joy, the eternal joy that you have for them with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Noad, for reminding us of the extended hand of the Lord Jesus inviting uh, sinners to come. Uh, Ron will come up and lead us in a hymn. mentioned earlier that we had lost track of Edith some 50 years ago, but I failed to mention that uh, a number of years back when Calvary people came to join us, the Mission Peak group that was already on this facility, who was there but Edith. And so for the past number of years, we've enjoyed her blessing and her fellowship. And many a time on Wednesday night when I felt too tired to come out, I would come out anyway, and there would be Matt helping Edith in in her walker, and she was a real blessing uh, to us and uh, we enjoyed her fellowship very much. Uh, turn in your red songbook, please, in closing uh, to hymn number 285, and let's stand once again, 285, as we sing that man of Calvary. Fairest of all the earth beside, Chiefest of all until thy bride, fullness divine in thee I see, beautiful man of Calvary, that man of Calvary has won my heart from me. 
and died to set me free. Blessed man of Calvary, drinking a dire and dreadful cup, crucified Jesus lifted up, bearing our guilt and misery, sorrowful man of Calvary, that man of Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free, blessed man of Calvary, granting the sinner life and peace, granting the captive sweet release, shedding his blood to make us free, merciful man of Calvary, that man of Calvary, has won my heart from me and died to set me free. Blessed man of Calvary, comfort of all my earthly ways, Jesus I'll meet some sweet day. Center of glory there I see, wonderful man of Calvary. That man of Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free. This man of Calvary gathered with thee eternally, sharing thy love by glassy sea. Like thee forever I shall be glorified man of Calvary, that man Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free, blessed man of Calvary. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Ron. Uh, we'll close in prayer here um, momentarily, but uh, if you weren't planning to stay for lunch, please stay. We have uh, lots of food that um, Carolyn and uh, the other ladies have prepared for us, and um, we'll serve in the foyer. There will be a serving table set up there, and then we set uh, eating tables outside. The weather's good, so we'll enjoy lunch together outside. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your hand that's not shortened but saves still today. Uh, thank you for this look into your word and how Edith availed herself of that extended hand. Um, we thank you for the look that we've had into her life this morning and how um, she's been an inspiration to so many of us, an influence, um, and had a, a tremendous impact in our lives. And uh, she would give that glory to you as her Savior and Lord. Bless this food now as we take it, Lord, and um, guide us as we return to our homes, some uh, very far away. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.